0: One of the things I've loved about being a parent is raising kids and one of the things I've loved about raising kids is watching in them this healthy sense of self develop, evolve and grow in young hearts and minds. When they are teeny tiny, they get almost all the clues and cues about the universe from, well, us, their parents. I remember a time more than two decades ago when our daughter was about three years old. Barb and I and our son Micah and our daughter uh, went out to see my parents in Council Grove, Kansas. And uh, I remember walking slowly on the sidewalk with my daughter toddling next to me. And on the sidewalk, coming toward us, was a woman with a uh, baby carriage. And I, when they got a little closer, smiled at the baby. And the baby did not smile back because a big hairy biped showing his teeth at her. But what she did was looked up at her mom to get a clue from her about how do I deal with this situation. And then when the mom smiled, the baby went, Kee! with a toothless little grin. She had to get a hint from what is my reality here from her mom now, my daughter, who was a little bit older, had no problems with that when she saw the baby stroller, she knew that meant there 's a cute baby inside, and she toddled in high gear to get to the baby carriage without looking at me at all about what do I do with this reality. She needed no clues from me but about an hour later, when we're back at my parents' house in their yard, Chloe is kicking around her big brother's soccer ball. Which was nearly as high as she was. And she kicks the ball and goes a little ways and kicks it again and goes a little ways. She gets to be about 10 yards from me. And she looks back. And then she did want to get a clue about... How do I deal with this reality? I smile at her. So she kicks the ball again and kicks the ball again. She's out 20 yards and 30 and 40 and 50 yards and she keeps looking back. Now, I'm interpreting that. I don't know what's actually going on in her mind, but what I think it meant, was she had three things going on. One is, is Daddy still there? Second is... Does he look worried about how far away I am? And third and most important, can I go a little further? This is simply what kids do. They want and need to experiment with doing new things, more independent things, but kids also want to stay connected in constantly evolving ways with their parents. So when they undertake a new adventure, they'll look back again and again to the person who loves them. First, to exclaim wordlessly, look at me, I'm doing this cool new thing on my own. And also to be assured that the one who loves them is still there in case things don't turn out so well. That memory of my daughter came Flooding back to me this week as I was reading this dense text from John chapter 14. The disciples remind me of theological toddlers. They have been with Jesus for three years, they have watched and learned from Jesus for three years. In Luke's gospel, Jesus has actually sent the disciples out a number of times so that they can try things on their own new adventures of preaching and teaching and healing and indeed like toddlers they always come back and say oh Jesus we did these cool new things that the demons obeyed us but they always come back quickly to be with the one who loves them they never get too far away and they come back because they feel safe with him at home with the one who is love incarnate. So it's here in John's Gospel when Jesus tells them on the night before his arrest that he'll be leaving them soon and they'll follow him later, the disciples understandably panic Thomas goes, Wait, where are you going? We don't know the way. And Jesus assures them I am the way. And I am truth. And I am life. Jesus does his best to assure a group of panicky disciples, that they will be okay. That they already have God's presence with them, even when Jesus himself is not physically present. I think that's what Jesus meant when he said, in Abba's house there are many dwelling places. He's saying there's a place for you in God. With apologies to a lot of my favorite bluegrass hymns, that I love dearly, I don't think Jesus, when he says, in Abba's home, there are many dwelling places, I don't think he's saying that there's a heavenly mansion that we go to when we die in the sky, Lord, by and by, as wonderful as those songs are. What Jesus, I believe, was doing was inviting the disciples and us to make our home in God right now by living the way of Jesus, by living into the truth of Jesus, to living fully the life that Jesus offers us. Jesus... Would soon no longer be physically present with the disciples. So Jesus was calling them to a next step of discipleship and spirituality, a more adult stage of spirituality and discipleship, into a more faithful way of being at home in God. Do you hear the invitation? Jesus calls us, follow my way. The way of love, of forgiveness, of of justice for those who are oppressed, of grace for those who have fallen short, of peace for the troubled, of wholeness for the broken, of food for the hungry, both of body and spirit. Do you hear the challenge he offers Follow my truth. The miracle of life in God is built into the DNA of every cell of every living thing. Every person, absolutely everyone, is a sacred and beloved child of God. The power of love overcomes all else, even the power of death. And Jesus invites us, follow my life. Be a servant to all. Wash one another's feet. Care for those most in need. Trust that God will guide you and sustain you through anything that comes your way. This kind of living. Living into the way and the truth and the life of Jesus is the way to live in God's house, as a metaphor, to live in the presence of God. This opens many dwelling places, enough for everyone, all of God's children, to find a home. Lots of good room. Lots of good room. And I think that's what Jesus means when he says next. No one comes to Abba except through me. That's one of my favorite verses in Scripture, and it's one of my least favorite verses in Scripture, depending on who's using it and how. We have all known this verse to be used to beat up people and to beat people down. We've heard people say, if you don't believe in Jesus exactly the way I do, nobody comes through the Father except through Him, then God has no place for you. You've heard it used that way. Is it just me? But I don't believe that's what it means. I don't think it makes a lot of sense for Jesus to say something so cruelly restrictive right after telling us that in God's house there are many dwelling places, there's a place for everyone, which seems to imply that there are all kinds of ways to be with God and in God and so many ways to God. I believe that what Jesus is saying here is the way to God is through my way. My truth, my life that I have been showing you, disciples, for the last three years. The way of forgiveness, the way of love and grace and justice and mercy that I have embodied with my own self. People who follow that way find themselves immersed in the holy work of God. What Judaism calls tikkun, The restoring of the world with God and through God. For me, the words are not about excluding and condemning people that don't believe the way I believe. Or believe the way some authority of orthodoxy says they should. I think the words are about joining hands with people who long to live in what Martin Luther King Jr. called the beloved community. No matter what diverse, meandering spiritual or moral journey brought them there, there's plenty good room, plenty good room. Trust in God, Jesus says at the beginning of this chapter. Trust also in me. Trust in the way that I have shown you. I want to go back for a moment to my story about my my daughter when she was a toddler, chasing off after a soccer ball, but always looking back to make sure that, that I was still there. Christian discipleship can often feel like that even when we are adults. When it comes to making our spiritual home in God, we can feel really unsure about whether God's really there or not. And, and, and don't you wish that, that, that just like toddlers with parents, we, we could look over our shoulder and see that, oh yeah, God's still there watching us. Still loving us from afar and and always ready to swoop in and fix everything if we start to get into trouble? Like Jesus' disciples, we'd really rather have Jesus right here in the flesh with us than having to struggle to do this faith thing ourselves. To do what, what Paul ominously called working out our salvation in fear and trembling. But we're not called to stay spiritual toddlers. The writer of 1 Peter talks to us about what it is to become spiritual adults. The author of 1 Peter knew that spiritual growth, both mirrors our physical and our emotional growth. He he wrote, Be like newborn babes longing for the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow into salvation. Like a baby at its mother's breast, we are to feed hungrily upon the evidences of God's love, upon the scriptures and prayer and community and service. We do this so that we can, as First Peter says, grow into salvation. Grow into salvation. Not as a one time thing. Now I grew up in a tradition where people could go on October twenty eighth, nineteen seventy-two, I was saved. But first Peter says, you're not done. You grow into salvation. We begin as spiritual infants, nursing at God's breast, so that we can grow into mature Christians, able to act out God's love in a hurting world. It's a growing process, and it takes all of our lives. We begin with the spiritual basics God is love, that's our firm foundation. There's no sinkholes there. You can stand on it. You can depend on it. You know it. And God will shine all the power of that holy love and forgiveness into whatever dingy corner we might have trapped ourselves in and invite us to light and life. God will nurse us on that love the way a mother nurses her infant. God will watch us and go with us as we learn to become more mature Christians, just like a loving father keeps an eye on the children playing in the yard. And we are also called to continue to grow into salvation as mature spiritual adults. And 1 Peter gives us a, a challenging adult Job description. He writes this. Come to Christ, the living stone, and like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of the one who called you out of darkness and into God's marvelous light. 1 Peter shows us another level of making our home in God by becoming church. Not not this beautiful construction of stone and wood, as beautiful as it is. But church in the biblical sense, the Greek that's translated as church is the word ekklesia, ekklesia. Meaning out, the same word we have exit those three or those, those bright letters over the doors. Ecclesia means we are a people called out of the safety of these four walls into a world that desperately needs to hear and see and touch and taste the love of God. I love. The, the built-in irony of First Peter. We are called to make a home in God by being called out into the world. And we are called out to tell the story of how your life is changed and is new and is different for being touched by God's love in Jesus Christ. We are called out to live the story in concrete loving acts of mercy and peace and justice and renewal, embodying in real concrete ways the radically inclusive love of God. We are called out to share the story by the sharing of our very selves, sometimes faltering sometimes unsure, but always growing into God's people. Peter says it very powerfully. Once you were no people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. The author of 1 Peter was writing to a group of new Christians who had once been pagan. And had lived in a worldview ruled by capricious gods and an even more capricious emperor. Where mercy and grace and love were not part of the vocabulary of the culture. And they had found something new in the gospel of Jesus. once you received no mercy, now you receive mercy. Well, you know what? Not much has changed in 2,000 years. The world outside our church is still filled with God's precious children who have known little or no grace or mercy in their lives. And we who know in our bones that God loves us. And that we Our God's people have an astounding gift to offer this hurting world. We can show them another way that is not the way of power. That is not the way of violence. That is not the way of force. But another way. Another truth. Another life that will bring them into connection with the God that we count on every day. Don't miss a chance to show that love. Don't miss a chance to give that love, that mercy, that way to another in the week to come and the months to come. But that is how we will make our home in God. Where there's plenty good room. Plenty good room for all. Even you and me. Amen. Our final hymn. No, I'm sorry, our second hymn. Is a wonderful southern harmony. All who hunger, gather gladly. Let's gather as spiritual infants.